So the text is from Mass today, and it says that uh, one as we have seen, and today is the Sunday of Orthodoxy, which is the triumph of the use of icons in the church, and of course the definition of that later in the Seventh Council of Nicaea. This became a dogmatic teaching in the Byzantine Catholic Church, and it is also acknowledged in the Western Church. So I thought I would preach about an icon today uh, to help you learn to read icons. So we have the Word of God in the Greek, in the language of men, and of course we have it in our church in Slavonic, and after uh, in the Eastern Church, we've always used the vernacular, but after Vatican II, they started to use the vernacular uh, throughout the Catholic Church so people could understand the message. So each icon, there's three kinds of icons. There is the seasonal icons, and there are sanctoral icons, and there are particular holiday icons. And we have all those. And here at the monastery, we don't have as many as we need, but we're doing pretty good. We're getting a good collection there. So, ikon in Greek comes actually from the book of Genesis. When, uh, I'm going to quote it in Latin though. Uh, where God said, he created man, kata ikon, according to his image. Now the other understanding is God also uh, sent his son as the image of himself. So in John's Gospel it says, uh, he said, show us the Father. And Jesus said, don't you know me? So do we know God the Father because Jesus is the image and revelation of the Father? So we know God. Now we have the language of God. We make a big to do about uh, the Bible. The gloss means great book in Greek because it contains the mind of God, the revelation of God. Especially important to us is the gospel. And so in our church, we have a gospel book only containing the word of Jesus. And we keep that on the holy table. And then in certain ceremonies, like divine marriage, we read a gospel. Uh, gospel is from Greek, and it means the good speech. Gospel. Spell means the speech. The good speech that came to us from God. Now, the other way we have the speech from God according to the Second Council of Nicaea, and, and it was that in pigment and paint in the holy icons. This is another way to write the Word of God. Now these holy icons become canonized because miracles are worked through them, and they 
uh, teach us at holidays, every holiday that's all that icon, uh, gospel center, all icons, uh, to particular people, like our blessed lady, boy, she's got lots of icons. Now, what do we believe about the icon? Let's talk about that. So this icon is the Holy Trinity. It's not Rudolph's Holy Trinity. He's holding it up there above this icon. That's the Russian one. We're used to that. And I painted that. It's above the icon of Scott's doors in our church here, in the big church. So I'm going to just talk to you about this. First of all, an icon is made out of natural things. Pigment, paint, and wood. Sometimes it's covered with precious metal, a risa. That's how we honor the person in the icon or with the event in the icon. That did not take place till late, maybe the 15th and 16th century. Before that, we only had painted icons. And we get them usually, I have a few of them around here on the walls. Usually we get them from Slav countries where there's a greater culture and they import them. Now this is the, says here, in English, they recognized him in the breaking of the bread. So that's Luke's gospel. And those people that were there were uh, Jesus, Cleophas, and Luke, and their names are here. So usually the icon is not complete unless the iconographer puts the names. Now, we're going to start with the central figure and explain it to you. So Jesus, uh, uh, he has only, actually, because this is Trinitarian, I only use three colors. But I mix some of them to get different shapes. So Jesus is ha-on in Greek. That's only behind his head. I am who I am. Egomi imai. And then there's the nimbus for a holy person. It has the divine energy. And the cross, Jesus always has the cross behind him. Only Jesus. And if you look at the features in the icon, this is a very handsome icon. And, uh, but the eyes are enlarged. The nose is straight. Uh, the forehead is high, and these are the classical features that are put into an icon. I don't know how I really painted this icon, because I was not an iconographer, but I talked to, I was helping uh, New Amina paint the church in Seattle, and I said to her, I said, so she says, you're going to get up on the stack scaffolding, and you're going to paint the halo, uh, the gold leaf, the uh, um, halo. I said, I don't know. I don't know how to use gold leaf. I don't know how to do this. I said, I don't know how to paint icons. She says, if God wants you to paint an icon, you're going to paint an icon. That's a little she knows, you know. So she puts it up there, and I put the first layer of gold on Jesus' icon. She did the face on canvas. I took it up and I painted it on the ceiling. I did the rest. I did the halo 
there are only a few really Eucharistic um, texts. Close, uh, Second Corinthians, I think, and it says, "Eat my body and drink my blood." You know, if you have life in you, is in John, and there's this all this Eucharistic teaching in the New Testament, and it's all in this icon. So if you can read this icon, you understand the Eucharist. Now there's much more to the theology of the Eucharist. I've been teaching you that gradually, the mystical meaning of the Holy Eucharist. Because that will improve your reception of the Eucharist, your understanding, and help you to pray better when you receive the Eucharist. So put this back up. Now, second part of today's homework. Are you The uh, difference in color on the Lord? Okay, let me see. Oh, I didn't do the, okay. Okay, so you see our Lord's face is white because the divine energies are in him. But the divine energies were not that. They were with the apostles, but they were not God. So that's the difference of the color in his skin. It's the divine energies that are in Jesus. It's terrific. It's a terrific icon. Okay? And I'm going to go on a little bit about icons. Uh, in, in today's liturgy, uh, they were the, some of the leaders in the Roman Empire there. Roman Empire at that point was Byzantine, and they were people who were condemning us for our use of the holy pictures, the holy icons. And they, some people, they say in the West, well, they're didactic. They're teaching issue. At least you read that all, that is not why they're my class. They're a, a revelation in pigment and paint and their celebration of the content of the icon. So this icon on the back wall, uh, it's from it's an icon about Carpata Rus, where our church originated. It has those Our Lady in the middle. It has those early Carpathian saints, kings and princes, and it has the four latest beati of our church up in the tops. And I have the Hungarian and the Slovak and the uh, Hungarian, Slovak and Russian flag on that. On that. So that's what it particularly to us. And that over there is sort of the uh, Russian corner. Our Lady there is Our Lady of Rus. Now this bishop over here, I don't know who he is, but somebody bought it for ten dollars in a shop, you know, and uh, I can shop or something. They brought it to us, and we we're grateful for it. And the, I'm hoping, I'm thinking that they're trying to write Greek there, but the Greek is not the best, so it's hard to get the word out of it. The letters are not. They copied the Greek, but they were not knowledgeable to get the Greek right now. But anyway, these icons uh, speak to us. Now, 
many times you hear about crying, uh, weep, icons that weep and cry. And Maria Poch is upstairs. She's cried two twice. Not this particular one, but the one in Poch, which is in Hungary, which used to be the Austro-Hungarian Empire. We were all contained in the Austro-Hungarian Empire at one time. And uh, she's cried both times. She cried once when World War I started, and she cried when World War II started. So we don't really like her to cry too much. Try to keep her happy. The major icon is in the Roman Catholic Cathedral in Vienna, St. Stephen's. But it's our icon. So when the emperor came and took it, put it there, uh, we, we painted another icon of Maria Poch and put it in Poch. So when I was in Europe, or oh, second or third time, I went there to pray. And I had 20 pilgrims with me who sang our songs in English and Slovak in that church. Were you there, Elizabeth? Did you? No, you weren't there. <coughs> so, so anyway, in our homes, when a couple get married, they give them an icon of our Lord and our Lady to start their, their uh, corner. And it should be in the eastern corner of the house, probably in the living room. And then, as their children come, they add an icon for each child. That becomes a family expression of and the family chapel. And we believe that the people in the icon are brought into the home. Because there's a presence of the saint in the icon. So when the priest blesses the icon, he blesses it with water like baptism, and he anoints it with oil like chrismation. And he brings into the icon the divine energies. Those divine energies we can call upon to help us. And we have lots of famous icons with lots of miracles. So I was in uh, Seattle and at the Russian Orthodox Church there, the OCA Church. The OCA Church broke from us. They were Greek Catholics. And so when we go to our churches, we are welcome. The, the OCA, except for some of these extremists, you know. So anyway, they had an icon there of Our Lady, and it was crying, and I went to see that. I saw her crying. I also saw an icon that oil came out of. So I have some of oil. I got some of oil in my dress store if I need it, if I need somebody. So these icons are just not decorations. Their expressions of faith and their revelation. And we should take care of them like they are a member of the family. In the icon corner, we put the New Testament, we put the cross, and the icons. And that's where the family gathers to pray. So I told the children one time in, in Seattle if you're in trouble and mom and dad are really going to beat you up, just go kneel in the icon corner. So I don't know if the parents like that idea. <laughs> just go appeal to the icons and they just have to get over it. The children like that idea very much. They, they enjoy that. 
So, uh, in, in other churches, they have, in some of our churches, we have murals also, big ones, you know, like that. And we have murals in this church here, the, the holidays. And uh, there's a presence in all these things. Now, how can you feel the presence? You stand and pray, and sometimes, occasionally, the ener energy in the icon will touch you, your heart. You're sick, the icons can heal you. They're very much a part of the liturgical life of the Byzantine Catholic Church. Lots of people do not understand this. It's hard to understand it. Almost have to be raised with it, but we can learn. And uh, don't be shocked when somebody tells you that they had a miracle from an icon. That's to be expected. Uh, my grandfather, they had icons. When they came from Europe, they couldn't bring icons, but they got holy pictures, like Western pictures, and they had them in the house, very big ones, really big ones. Like, like Bronda had some big ones, too. And uh, my grandfather, especially, if uh, things were not going well in the house, he would uh, say, we have to cover all the saints. And he'd start taking t towels and things and covering the saints. He says, you're going to embarrass us in front of the saints. They knew that they had to stop that. That was not going to be in their house. So we live with the saints in our homes and our holy icons. They're praying with us. The other thing is we have to realize we have angels around us. So don't embarrass your angel with what you're doing. And live a pure life. We are Eastern Catholics. We are sort of mystical. And that's why we become at home with the holy icons sacred scriptures and the saints are with us. So it used to be like in August, my grandmother, while she could still walk okay, and sometimes she'd walk one way and we would take a bus the other. We'd go to a icon that's a nun's head and it was in their yard and their grounds. And it was of our lady and uh, they'd walk there. In Europe, they always walked. See, sometimes they, the bishops said they walked the whole of, of Slovakia from one end to the other to go pray in an icon. He was going to drop dead. He didn't. So anyway, we would go there, and there was a little pond there. And I asked her, I said, why? We have all sorts of icons in our church. Why don't we come all over here to this shrine? She said the nuns bought this icon for their um, chapel. And they put it in the chapel and they were going to you know, hang it up and make a shrine. And uh, they went the next day, it wasn't there, it was out in the yard under this tree. 
then the notion how we got there. But anyway, they took it back in the chapel. Next morning, it was out under the tree. So they put it back in the chapel again. Next morning, it's out under the tree. So apparently, the icon had wanted to be in the shrine there. So they built a little shrine there and put this holy icon. Thousands of people go to that icon. And I would be drugged there. I was a little boy. I would get there, you know, and I'd get tired and I would lay down on the grass and sleep. And I'd, I'd wake up and there was my Baba, my grandmother, with the rosary praying before the icon. She never explained things too much to us, but her actions were enough to understand the faith that we brought from Europe with us. Not so intellectual as experiential, waiting for the grace of God to act in us through the holy things, the holy tales, the saints, and the other side of life which is hidden from us, the mystical life, which makes us saints. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit.